Welcome to the fifth episode of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women in customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Musket, and in today's episode, we'll be talking about the compounding effect of race and gender in traditionally male-dominated environments and the challenges of bringing customer centricity to decisions about technology. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest. Our guest grew up in South Wales and has the best accent ever. Her career began in the army and she spent her early years in technology and is now currently head of contact centre sales at Mitel. She's passionate about customer experience being the key to making the right choices and brings a refreshing perspective to tech in the sales industry. She's straight talking, no nonsense, and she's not shy about her views on sexism. Please welcome to the show, CX sister, Shamim Smiley. Hey, Shamim. Hi there, Claire. How's it going? Awesome. How are you? I'm really good, thanks. Really good. And it's Monday, so... (laughs) Well, by the time the podcast comes out, it'll be Friday, so... (laughs) Yeah, hopefully uh, everyone will be in a Friday mood when they're listening to this at home. So welcome to all the listeners as well. Um, And I'm so excited to have you on the Women in CX podcast today because every single one of our chats we've ever had to date have been awesome. Um, I absolutely love the fact that you're so straight talking and no nonsense. So I know that we're in for some real, real talk today when it comes to discussing the intersection between gender and race, when we're talking about feminism and equality. <laughs> Thank you as well. It's a real honour and a privilege to even be included in, in the, the series that you're running. So I'm really chuffed. So thank oh, you. Gosh. I wouldn't have it without you. <laughs> so I think your story is a truly inspiring one um, because you told me that you left school without any qualifications and have managed to rise up the career ladder to make it to head of sales in a tech company, like an, an international tech company, no less. So I have a huge amount of respect for your success. And I say this particularly because I have a shared experience of being at the same age and having a really difficult time, getting caught up with an older guy who took me down the wrong path, yeah. failing my levels, and then really struggling to get my life back on track in my 20s. So if you're okay to share your backstory, what was it like growing up for you? Um, I come from from a you know pretty well, it's not small actually, mid-sized town in Port in called Port Talbot in South Wales, and we were brought up. So me and my siblings were by my mother. Uh, she brought us up alone. Um, and, but her her ethics and and her work, you know, her work ethics that she sort of pushed to us were, were, were quite fierce really so I I knew from a very young age that you know college wasn't going to be a path that I could take um primarily because I needed to have money I, I knew I, I knew she didn't couldn't she just couldn't afford to sort of you know fund me through through college mm-hmm. and then for university um and I and I think that sort of changed my my outlook in terms of school and after the age, probably after the age of 14, I didn't really go to school much. And I ended up just not going back at all from the age of 15. I did go back and sit some exams, but nothing that, you know, would have made a difference in terms of a career choice mm-hmm. anyway. And I ended up leaving uh, at 15 because I needed to earn money. And I knew that in order to 
just to even you know have the clothes that I wanted and and to do some of the things I wanted the only option for me was to go and get a job so I could earn money and, and buy these things myself because I couldn't expect my mother to 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 take care of all of that as you know for me and for my brother and sisters so where was your dad um he was absent he was absent from the time probably since I was two years old uh yeah I mean that's another story in itself but uh he wasn't a very nice person and you know I'm really pleased that my mother had had the the sense and the courage really to to leave him because he was he was he wasn't a very nice guy Mm -hmm. um he was quite quite a violent person and my life would have been so different had she not had the courage to you know to to leave Bristol to leave us you know to pick us all up and and bring us back to Wales and to get away from him it would have been a you know I, I dread to think what my destiny would have been had she not left him and and I think whilst you know I went without a lot of things in in my life my mother also sacrificed a massive massive amount of stuff so that we could so we, we could be the people that we are I guess and and you know I think I'm I don't think I'm really grateful that, that she sacrificed all of that so I, I can be where I am today. Mm. So you said just picking up on something you said there about um she moved to Bristol. Yeah. <laughs> My mother ran away to Bristol um when she was 17, I think, which back in the day, that was like going to Australia, you know. <laughs> people talk honestly, it's true. People talk about crossing the Seven Bridge needing a passport, but even now, you know, I speak to my mother and and she says, you know, oh, my daughter lives in England. She doesn't say <laughs> where in England because England is this massive country. And she's done a lot of traveling since. It's not because she doesn't know, but that, mm-hmm. you know, back in the day when she did that, you know, in the 60s, that was mm-hmm. such a big deal. And for a girl, you know, 17, never, ever even left her town, really, to, to just up sticks and run away, which is what she did, was a, mm-hmm. was a huge deal. And she ended up um, landing in St. Paul's, which at the time was 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 a very you know you know she was the complete reverse of me really mm-hmm. she was the only white woman in in a, in a you know in an area where there was mainly black people asian mm-hmm. it was you know the windrush time as well you know she met my dad who who had come over um back in the 60s as well and, and none of that would have happened had she had the if she didn't have the courage to to run away because she didn't want to be the person that her destiny was telling her she had to be even at 17 so wow there's definitely something about our mothers that runs through, doesn't doesn't it? When yeah. they're courageous and have had the resilience to fight and not tolerate what they didn't want in life, it definitely passes on to the next generation. Um, so. so, so bringing, I guess, then a mixed race family back to Port Talbot. God, yeah. <laughs> My mother tells me, you know, all of us kids, you know, some real. The time, you know, when, when, you know, my sister, she's black, she's got Afro hair. And when my mother pitched up back home, you know, pushing my sister in the pram, my my own grandmother turned around to my mother and said, you know, she looked in the pram, seen this little black baby and said, you know, you need to, you need to put, take her back to the jungle where she came from. And this was my mother's mother. You know, I, you know, my auntie, um, who was, you know, considered a little bit well off, I suppose, she used to say to my mother, oh, don't bring, don't bring the kids round because she didn't want her neighbours to know she had, you know, people that weren't white in, in, in the family. And when I was older, it, don't get me wrong, she's, she, she, she was a nice lady and stuff, but she was just really just overly concerned about 
what it looked like you know she didn't want to be judged by her neighbors based on you know myself my brother my sister you know running down the road uh in, into her house so we didn't really go there much because we just you know we were categorically not invited that's so sad and i think feeling like it's come such a long way since the 60s but we're still not there yet are we in terms of no, racial no definitely not is that you know when i think about um how I felt growing up because, you know, there was probably me and I, I know anyway, there was two others um, who were the only people that were in white in our class. And, and that's been the same throughout pretty much my, my, my adult life, you know, e even now, um, you know, the amount of people of color, I, you know, we're still single digits, uh, mm -hmm. which I, which I think is, is a real shame. Um, I, but equally, I know we're taking steps to address that, but, you know, I talked to my mother about her experiences and I do question how much has really changed. I mean, on the face of it, it's changed, but it's the stuff underneath, isn't it? That that hasn't changed really. It's 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 the messages that lie underneath the messages, the words that you know are not being spoken, but are absolutely being felt. Mm. That needs to change. And, and I'm really pleased to see, I feel like the world has really woke, you know, since COVID, I, I feel like, you know, the whole, great yeah the whole injustices the inequalities not just for people of color but you know for us as women mm -hmm. for anything really and 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 i think it transcends any minority group and you know there's still too many of it in my mm -hmm. opinion mm -hmm. so. i guess i guess the main difference between the 60s and now is the equality act so ca yes. characteristics of minorities are protected however attitudes and behaviors and biases are still very prevalent and that's so, a good way definitely Oh, no, sorry, go and what were you going to say? <laughs> no, it's just, I've been, you know, I've been on a bit of a journey of self-discovery and awareness, you know, these last couple of months. And I've been learning a lot, relearning mm. about, you know, women's rights, uh, women equality and, and just, you know, realising probably, I, I don't know, I don't know why I didn't realise, but realising that all the things that we're fighting for today, we've been fighting for for a bloody long time. Um, and it's still not, it's still not finished. We're, you know, there's still work to be done. And I, you know, I'm grateful for the women that went before us to, you know, because they helped us. You know, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing now had they not done what they'd done. And so I, I'm thankful. And more of us need to do this, you know, in order in order to fix the things that need to be fixed. You can't be a bystander anymore. We all have to be part of the solution as well as recognizing the problems. There's no point just sitting back. And I want to be part of the solution, which is why I'm really happy to be talking about this today. So. And I'm so glad you're here. Um, just picking on upon what you said there, thinking back like two generations. So, like my grandmother was one of the first women to ever work in laboratories, and she was on yeah. the team that developed penicillin in, for the wow. war effort. Yeah, but she oh, never got any credit for it <laughs> compared to the men. So, if you look in like the annals of history, the the guys yeah. that were part of that team um, got recognised, and she didn't. And then even my mother's generation, um, she was told that she shouldn't study um, academic subjects. She should do like cooking and sewing and that kind of thing. So left her education and became a teacher initially and went back when I was a small child to become a psychologist and did a PhD and two master's degrees whilst I was small because she was determined to raise herself up too. And I think you know, the privilege that I've had having been born in the 80s and grown up in the 90s and 2000s is night yeah. and day. But I agree with you, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of 
all the women that have gone before us and led the path and yeah we've we've got a, a duty <laughs> I think that's how I look at it as well you're right we do have a duty because a lot of people sacrificed yeah. um in or in order for us to have the platform that we've got today and you can't and you know we have to we have to recognize that for mm. for the value that they gave us and mm. it's priceless really it's priceless yeah and, and I think that word that I said at the beginning you know the intersection of our yes. feminism with our with our gender and, and race is I think something that I am particularly more awakened to since Covid and George Floyd and recognizing that I've probably got it as easy as I possibly could as a white Western woman um, and how we're able to amplify the voices of people who are still suffering inequality yeah worse than say myself ourselves so, so I'm really interested to hear more about you know kind of this intersection for you between your race and gender and feminism how did you end up in technology from you know work waitressing and working really hard to earn enough money to buy the things that you wanted how did you end up in tech um well when I was 16 going on 17 I knew that I you know I think I was doing hairdressing at the time don't look at my hair because I can do other people's hair way better than I could do my own hair looks great and I could do I, I, I was doing hairdressing but I knew that I could only go so far in terms of my my personal ambitions and in terms of what I wanted to do in my life and I, I you know I still wanted to do all the things that you know most people dream of travel the world have new experiences and I and I knew in order to do that I had to leave for Talbot because I knew I couldn't do it where I was because I didn't have the qualifications I didn't have the I did I didn't have the foundations to allow me to do that and fundamentally I need to earn a living um so what I ended up doing was going to the job center with, with my mother and I was gonna and I filled out two forms one of them was to go and pick fruit I think or something like that in Jersey and and then it happened to be a bloke there in uniform um, and he got chatting to my mother at the time and before I knew it I was filling out application forms to to join the army and uh yeah and, and then you know I ended up joining the army and you know when we talk about we laugh now in my family because the only reason he started talking to my mother was because he fancied her and he wanted to take you know he wanted to ask her out and the, but he was the reason that he changed my life <laughs> because that situation changed my life so again thank my mother but thank the thank you know thank the chap as well. I happened to be in the job centre when I when I walked in on that day because I don't know where I don't know what my destiny would have been otherwise. Wow! So the army, what was that yeah. like? <laughs> <laughs> it was really hard. It really really hard. Um, I hated it for the first couple of years. Uh, I was definitely you know considered to be the black sheep of the family. Um, nobody thought I would hack it and and at the time um I didn't think I was going to hack it either you know basic training was was the beginning really of my trans transformation and mm -hmm. and I would say that that's been even though that was my transformation my transformation hasn't really stopped throughout my life uh I hate basic training I hate being away from home uh, I was really homesick and I was really overwhelmed by the experience as well and I really wanted to go home every single day and Every night I would queue at the phone box, reverse the charges because I had no money. And, and I would be literally bawling my eyes out to my mother, crying my eyes out. And then she would say, come home, come home, it's okay. And I'd be like, I can't come home because 
my grandmother before I left had, had said in front of everybody you know my my you know we had a big leaving thing and she told everybody that you know it would be days before I'd be begging to, to you know my mother to buy me out because she said I would never hack the discipline because I, I was you know I was pretty I was considered you know to be a bit of a wild child back then and if you didn't know me back then you probably agree um but I was and so everybody was putting bets on in front of me you know saying how long I would last before I pack my bags and come home with my tail between my legs and it was it was it was fear of failure and and shame that I would I perceived that would you know they would all think of me that stopped me from quitting which I think is really good and to be honest my driver for that was is fear of failure and it's been that's been the thread through all my life as well as fear of not having enough money to to maintain my independence um and i you know i've never i've always said to myself that i never want to be in a position where i have to ask somebody else for money so that i can have something that i really want and i think when i reflect back on my army career you know joining the army was probably the best thing i ever did and then leaving when the army was the second best thing i ever did so <laughs> that's unusual to have two such parallel experiences right the best thing and the worst thing that I ever did <laughs> yeah. but I can clearly see it was definitely the beginnings of the the making of of you so thank you so much for sharing that I think there were two things that really resonated with me in what you just said and firstly I think it was that sense of like 15 to 18 and feeling like I was an actual grown-up and being in yeah. all these grown-up situations that I didn't have a clue how to handle and could have derailed my life like I've got no idea like how I <laughs> managed to get to where I am now but looking back and recognizing I was a kid literally yeah. a child and it scares me to think of the generations today or if I ever had a daughter I'd be petrified of <laughs> some of the things that happened to me at that age happening um now but also like your the way that you turned the negativity from the family reaction to your, your grandma into something that you metabolized into this power to continue to, to to see it through to be so resilient and, and to make it um I just have to say like that's awesome <laughs> and very inspiring <laughs> oh, thanks. but it really was just you know I, I just didn't want to come home and as a failure and and I, I didn't want to I wanted to prove them wrong so as much as I hated it at the time, I just knew that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to come back a failure. And I wanted to come back, you know, feeling, feeling good about myself and proud about myself. And I did. So that, yeah. you know, that, that was really good. It was a good feeling. It was a good feeling going home after I finished my basic training. Yeah. Yeah. And, and seeing it through. So, so you obviously working in the army, did your training around technology, you ended up in the workplace in frontline engineering. Is that right? Yeah, so I, I joined. What does that mean? <laughs> oh, so I, I joined the workforce. Sort of, you know, I I left the army, and you know, that's another story in itself. And I joined as a as a first line engineer in in Mytel, really. So, you know, I I joined whereby it, it, just before the the dot com bubble burst, um, and I was in a team, you know, again with males. You know, I had guys turning around to me. You know, showing me the devices at the time, saying, "Shamim, you know, have you ever seen one of these?" And and you know, just wanting to pat me on the head because they couldn't comprehend that I, you know, that I had another life before I'd even joined. And they, you know, and they used to tell me, you know, Shamim, you're, you know, you're never gonna, you know, you're gonna grow old on this desk. And I used to mm -hmm. turn around and say, "That's not. I'm not gonna grow old on this desk. I am gonna, you know, I aspire for better for myself." 
and I, I've always been hungry. I've always been hungry to learn more, and and I've always been really nosy and really curious. So, if I see somebody else and I think they're learning something really quite or doing something quite interesting, I want to know what it is and I want to understand it. And and that I think is how I started to sort of differentiate myself. And wittingly, I say between the guys on the desk, so to speak. And so it wasn't long before. I was promoted and I and and you know I started moving moving up and until I got into uh third line engineering and that was a bit of a challenge because I was I think I was the first female to to be in that team and to the point where a lot of the guys just wouldn't even speak to me they just you know I was invisible I, they just didn't know how to handle me for a start you know I, I was like a bull in the china shop when I first joined uh, I was so used to being in an environment where it was okay to see what you think you know my filters were were very few and far between and you know how I expressed myself at the time you know I did offend a lot of people you know and because whatever I was thinking was coming out of my mouth and I didn't really give pay enough attention to how my words made other people feel um so I you know I came across as as quite a scary I suppose an individual and I think for the most part, that was that was, you know, they were definitely correct. But equally, they didn't take the time to try to understand me. You know, I I, I was a almost like an alien. You know, I was an alien in, in this environment whereby it was, you know, men, the guys were used to working with the guys. And all of a sudden I come in, I'm like I'm like the Tasmanian devil or this, you know, this whirlwind of something just massively weird and different mm -hmm. to them. And and the, so it was as much about, you know, they needed to learn to understand me as well as me being able to understand them. Mm. It's interesting that you say that because I'm I'm imagining from what you said, it's a load of middle-aged white guys on that third line. Would I be it right? Was. At, the at the time, yeah, definitely. It, 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 was a, it definitely was. It was the odd one, I suppose, but... Yeah, there was one guy, I guess, who wasn't white. The rest were absolutely older white guys. Um, yeah, and, and I made them uncomfortable. So, so. kind of behaviour development aside, you still were getting promoted, so I don't think you could have been that bad. Do you think perhaps, like, your gender made some of the behaviours that you were showing be interpreted to be worse than it actually was because it's not becoming of a woman to you know be demanding yeah uh, could it be like what was perceived as um, aggression might have actually just been assertiveness and in that environment it's really hard to get noticed if you're invisible so I don't know I feel like I, I want to say to you you shouldn't be blaming yourself quite so much as you are for I know but you're right though um yeah I you know I was often called aggressive emotional you know, I am emotional and, and I, you know, I express myself emotionally because I'm, you know, I, I'm passionate about, I was, I've always been passionate about what I, what, what I did, even, you know, going back to before I joined the army and, and, and then I was in this job where, where, you know, I, I was called aggressive or, and lo lots of terms whereby today they're deemed positive. Mm. Um, and, and in the beginning, I think I did try to make myself smaller is the only way I can describe it so that I, you know, my voice would could be heard. And then I got to the stage where I just thought, you know, I'm gonna stop doing this because why why do I need to apologize for being emotional? I mm. I like the fact that I'm emotional. I am emotional, but the things I'm talking about, you know, customer issues, customer mm. experience, mm. they're very emotive topics. Mm. And and when a customer is talking to me, it 
I feel it. I, I feel all of it. And and I but I think that's what makes me better at my job than than maybe some others that I just give a shit about everything. And it makes me an emotional being. And I think it's OK. It's OK to be emotional. And and I think equally I shouldn't be judged. You know, when when I'm you know, maybe I'm not smiling like all day, but. I just think, why do I need to smile? You know, just to just to suit the person that I'm speaking to. Or if I'm not smiling, why does it have to be? Because I'm on my bloody period. Sometimes <laughs> I'm just, you know, sometimes I'm saying something and it's not, and it's it's hard hitting because that's the situation that we're in. It's got nothing to do that I'm on my period or that I'm emotional. It just happens to be an emotion. You know, it just needed it at the time. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. But I, th- I think you've just hit on the very heart of sexism there, right? So women uh, experiencing emotions, being perceived to be a female thing, and it's because we're women, we're being emotional, which is bullshit. Yes. Um, men who display emotions are passionate and have empathy <laughs> in, in the workplace, rather yeah. than it being a negative trait, which drives me crazy. Uh, I think it's just even the sexism of, you know, being accused of having PMT when we're not happy about something <laughs> is yeah. completely inappropriate and should, has no place in, in, in the workplace. And things like that have been said to me in the past too. And I guess when I was younger, I was also in that mode of making myself smaller to fit in or to match other people's expectations of what a good girl in business should be and even that point you said about smiling yeah the guys don't get told to smile I know. <laughs> they're not expected to smile on demand or command or just permanently look pretty and sit there so you know I think fair play to you for yet again pulling yourself up by bootstraps and saying oh that isn't me I want more and finding the courage to be yourself and you know you've got where you are because of your character and I would never want to see any more filters on you Shamim I love your unfiltered wonderfulness <laughs> full stop there'll be some people that don't that don't agree but I think <laughs> one of the good things though is that obviously it you know I work in a male-dominated environment is a given mm-hmm. and and I think but along the way sometimes I didn't know it or see it or feel it but I've all I've always had allies even if they didn't make themselves known to me mm-hmm. at the time, they they were obviously there because you know without that I wouldn't even be here where I am mm-hmm. right now. Because you know I also want to mention that that you know I, I think you know we are talking about why women are great in this conversation mm-hmm. and we're talking about CX. Um, but I want to say you know but there are shit women as well. Yes, agreed. And and you know I I think I've had more than my fair share of of mm-hmm. of really bad women experiences I I think but I think when I think about you know the the allies part of it we need you know I'm pleased to say that there's enough men out there you know you know Joaquin as, 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 an, as an example on the, on this session there's enough men out there who are playing a, a massive part and they're part of the solution in addressing the inequalities let's say of between between men and women and and I think what attracted me to you in the first place Claire was I saw that you're, you know, you're about women, you know, helping other women as well. And and that was quite refreshing to me because I, I don't see that happening enough in 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 the industry that we work in. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that was part of the motivation for me to do this podcast. And yeah, because there are so many women that want to support yeah. other women, yeah. but we just don't see them visibly. Um, and yeah, it, I, I don't know if, if you agree, but is it? 
perhaps a technology industry orientated thing where women become much more competitive because there seems to be so few seats at the table that um, that kind of dominance or need to become quite aggressive and male about um, leadership in yeah. in perceived scarcity sometimes can be the driving force that holds not only themselves back but other women back too I, I don't know if you if you have any thoughts on that I'm not sure it's just um it's, it's just women in in tech per se mm. when I talk to my I talk to my friends you know people in my network to my girlfriends mm. uh you know who all work in different industry they've all got their you know when we're sharing stories they all have a story about <laughs> some an, another female let's say holding them back yeah, yeah exactly and I, you know I'm guilty of it as well I haven't you know when I think about my journey and 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 you know the path I took to here, I I think back you know not so long ago I probably adopted you know a lot of those qualities as well which I which I really disagree with today um, because I thought maybe that's what I needed to do but I really you know I I in my in my voyage of self discovery I I know that's not that's not what you need to do and you know when we're talking about emotion emotions I've I, you know I'm glad to say that I work with and and I have worked with just as many men who are very comfortable with showing you know their emotions mm-hmm. and and that you know humanized you know the themselves as as well as you know the conversations that we're all having today mm, yeah i think mean, i think you're right and yeah absolutely i'm coming across some incredible men since i've started yeah. this yeah. who are showing their allyship and um or telling me you know how inspired they are by listening to two women having conversations about topics they just never had an eye into before um so yeah, totally with you and, and and loving the ally vibe. I guess kind of where are things going to next? So once we've you know got all of these amazing, strong, confident, powerful women together, and we're sharing stories about like our pasts, you know, I, I I agree with you. I think if I think back, was I always the perfect role model female leader? Absolutely not. And um, when it came to other women, I don't know what what it was about my my journey and my awakening that yeah. meant I didn't feel threatened by women anymore I don't know I can't put my finger on it I don't know when it happened but I know since the moment that I embraced supporting other women and their success I got more successful myself too and it works and the yeah. sisterhood is real and when we support each other we're there for each other we you know hand each other potential opportunities you know, help each other raise our profiles even just you know like liking and commenting on each other's social media posts to give you a boost it makes everything better <laughs> to know that you've got women around you so um so again I thank you for sharing that about yourself and, and reminding me that yeah I'm not I haven't always been perfect I'm still not perfect but <laughs> no but that's though, isn't it I think you know, I, I, I analyze myself a lot and I think as women as well. And, oh, you know, God, yeah. yeah, we're always, you know, giving ourselves a good, you know, self-flagellation for all the things that we didn't do better or good enough and things. And I, but I think that's part of our journey, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the, you know, going back to the CX theme that the, of, of what you're doing, it's the continuous evolution, mm-hmm. the continuous, you know, looking at things that can be made better all the time, never being complacent, always always saying right what's next what can we do what can we do better this time and making a difference and 
I don't know. I, 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 same as you. I don't know when I suddenly changed or when I suddenly woke up to the fact that mm. I could be my my authentic self and mm. still be successful and still get the job done and still make a difference. But it, it was probably, you know, I don't know, maybe it was in the last two years, maybe, but it was helped by who I'm surrounded by. And I, I think seeing all the changes going on in the world, I'm, I'm just, mm. I'm reading everything, I'm seeing everything and, and I'm feeling it as well. Mm. I, I'm allowing myself to feel and I, I just, I, I, and as well, I just don't mind sharing it, and and I think sometimes that comes with being older, perhaps having the mm. wisdom and the confidence to to not be afraid. I'm still afraid. I'm afraid all the time, by the way. But uh, I just, I was talking to my boss this morning, and I said I made a decision at Christmas that I'm never going to say no mm. to stuff, even when it terrifies me. So when you asked me to do this a couple of months ago, I was terrified because I don't, I hate being on video, and I just thought, oh shit, I got to be on video, and then but I thought, ah. I got to do it. I, I've got. I've got to put my money where my mouth is, and you know, I, I, I've got to be the difference I want to see, and that's the only way we're going to influence and impact change for the good. Thank you so much. I personally find your approach to never being beaten by anybody else, surviving the way that you have, not accepting the life that you were handed and striving to just can be completely independent is amazing and I'm sure all the women that are listening along will be thinking the same thing too again thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself so authentically okay. I know Thanks. we promised real talk at the start but that was real <laughs> real talk today <laughs> um, and I know that I am feeling right now that I could be empowered to do anything based on looking at you Shamim so I hope Thanks. the experience was better than you hoped of no it was uh, yes <laughs> you, make, you make me feel comfortable and I think that helps I mean you do, I think you're underestimating the influence and the and and the, the impact that you're having as well in terms of how how positive all of this is I mean how, how can it be bad or how can it be crap if you know when when at the heart of it what you're doing is is just inspirational for all of us or you know all of us that want that want to that want to forge a path as well for for the girls that are coming up behind us so. oh that, that's got me right in the feels thanks so much for saying that <laughs> okay so it's good time to close now um so i'd just like to thank the listeners again for tuning in and say one final thank you to our producer yorikeem thorne and sponsors at effectively for supporting women in customer experience thanks so much to me i'm gonna wave bye bye to you now and i can't wait to see you after this lockdown stuff's over likewise <laughs> you take care bye yeah, Thanks for listening to the Women in CX podcast with me, Claire Musket. If you enjoyed the show, please drop us a like, subscribe or leave a review on whichever platform you're listening or watching on. And if you want to know more, please join us at womenincx.community and follow the Women in CX page on LinkedIn. Join us again next week where I'll be talking to a woman who calls herself a CX educator about her views on the connections between emotional intelligence and customer experience.